Welcome to How to Mama Without Drama. I'm your host, Nellie Westby, and today we're talking about anxious youth. I feel like this is discussed all the time, maybe even a little bit too much at times in reference to our youth being very anxious. The reason why I wanted to talk about this is because there are environmental factors. It's not always genetic. And we need to take a moment and think about that and see if there's anything at all that we could possibly adjust in our children's lives to make them healthier, more well-rounded individuals. Like many mental health conditions, anxiety has an environmental as well as a genetic component. And studies over decades have proven that children whose parents struggle with anxiety are two to seven times more likely to develop an anxiety disorder themselves. When a child is brought up in a family where others are fearful and anxious, this teaches the child to become afraid. Anxiety is a disorder characterized by constriction as it keeps the person from living full and free lives and often encourages the worst case scenario. There are some things that parents with anxiety teach their children implicitly and explicitly. First, that the world around them is a dangerous place. Do not trust other people. Second, unpredictably, is something to be feared. They need to try to control everything to prevent their child from getting hurt. Next, it's easier just to stay home. Don't interact with others. And last, don't take any risks. It's easier to do that because it's worse to fail than not to try at all. So these implicit lessons, along with others, are why so many individuals who grew up with anxious parents end up in therapy working on their own mental health challenges. I saw this all the time in homeschooling. Although I loved my years of homeschooling, I really struggled with watching just what came from the right heart and the right motive from parents trying to protect their children. But then I had a really hard time because it was really teaching the children to be afraid of the world and everything in it. So for example, I was with a mom in the co-op. One day at lunchtime, my youngest child was six years old and he was eating lunch. And I turned around and this mom was spoon feeding her child. And she had raised this child to be homeschooled, but again, did not leave the house, only solely homeschooled. And then she even spoon fed him. And she kept saying, but you know, he's my youngest one. He's my baby. I just want to control all of the environmental factors. So he's safe and he's protected and he relies on me. And although that mother obviously loved her son very much, that is very damaging because that child just does not learn to trust others and does not learn to function on his own. And obviously he's at the developmental stage where he's fully able to feed himself. Can you imagine that child getting into their first romantic relationship when all they've learned from a socially anxious parent that all people are judgmental and self-centered and not to be trusted? It's just very damaging long run. You know, imagine these children trying to live a life without fear when all they've learned is that fear is totally acceptable. So I've witnessed this over the 20 years of homeschooling, but also with my own children. I'll get into that in a moment. But understand that the majority of anxious parents don't see themselves as anxious. So they see themselves, you know, their thoughts and their behaviors as rooted. And that's why it's so important to continually learn as parents and listen to podcasts and read books, because we have to see and reevaluate in each season of our children's lives where they're at. This is not just happening at homeschool settings and in private school settings. It's happening in society as a whole. We're asking children to change rather than changing the world around them. We are focusing on adapting children to the chaos that is taking place. And children are being offered pharmaceutical solutions to everyday hassles at an alarming rate. One in five young people reported taking a prescribed opioid for pain just this past year. And 6% reported being prescribed medication for anxiety and depression. That rate has doubled over the past decade. 
10% of children play video games more than five hours a day, and one in eight show signs of gaming addiction, such as social withdrawal, loss of control, and blatant disregard for consequence of their behavior. We need to stop for a moment and consider environmental factors. First, look at the genetic component. If we have the ability to change our children's environment to make it a healthier one where they can thrive and grow, reducing and eliminating anxiety, then we need to do that. So again, there is a genetic component to our children. If, um, for example, my son has ADHD, and obviously that is something that needs to be dealt with, right? But we did change his environmental factors first before we did the medication. So the example I can give you is in seventh grade, he was in public school in New Jersey, and they're very hyper-focused on, I guess you could say, appeasing the child's emotions. So everything is about if they're stressed out, then there's excuses for everything. So that particular year, he was working on this group project, and it was very overwhelming to him because of the ADHD. He can't stay focused for long periods of time. So first they said to me, okay, you can write him a letter to excuse him from the emotional stress of doing this project. And I said, hold on one second. I feel for him big time. And I, I see that his struggle is real. And I know that there's a genetic component there, right? He does struggle with ADHD. That's the reality of it. He had neurological testing to prove it. But I don't want him to not try it all. He can still try. If he can't you know, get there as quickly as everybody else, that's okay. But I don't want to write a letter to excuse him. So they weren't very happy with that, but I had him to continue to try to chip away at it. Again, even if it's, you know, 10% out of the 100%, at least I wanted him to try. But then a month later, he continued to flounder and they called me back in for a meeting and they said, Mrs. Westby, can you get him an emotional support animal to carry around with him at school? I think that would help him a lot with the ADHD and the anxiety. And, you know, it also will help him along with that letter of excusing him from doing his work. So I said, well, can I ask you a question? Can my staff do that? And they said, excuse me? I said, can my staff, when they're having a really bad week, can they just be excused from doing their work? And they said, Mrs. Westby, that's not the same thing. I said, but it is. Jake's diagnosis is true, right? I mean, again, we have neurological scientific proof that he struggles, but I don't want Jake to ever stop trying. And I don't want Jake to ever give up. And there's nothing wrong with having an emotional support animal if you need one. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I feel like we're going very quick to not look at the environmental factors around the child. We removed Jake from public school that year. And that's another story to be shared for a further time. But we were not happy with how much it was being pushed that he needed heavy medication and needed to be excused from everything. And he did really well. We did not do medication until he was 17 years of age. So we held off from when he was diagnosed at the age of 12 until 17. And again, that's for a future podcast. But it is important to know that you can change environmental factors and see a lot of progress. As stated previously, anxiety causes constriction and stops our children from living healthy and free. So let's take time now to stop and reassess where they're at and see, are the school they are currently in, is it right for them? You know, or again, whether it's their youth group, whether it's school, whether it's anything, are our children thriving and growing? Thank you for joining me today. Until next time. Um.